Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. We thank you for the opportunity to go through a new series. We pray that you will shine your light upon the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. I read, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Amen. So, this scripture here lets us see Peter's audience. So, Peter is not writing this to a Jewish audience. He's actually writing this to a Gentile region. In fact, um, the audience of Peter, Peter's letter, this particular letter, is always being debated. Some, some scholars are not sure whether he is referring to Jews who were exiled in these places. Some too are not sure whether it's Romans. Others too are not sure whether it's Babylon. Because in the New Testament, there is a whole uh, mix-up between Babylon and Rome. Some believe that Babylon metamorphosed into Rome and so on and so forth. But the short of it all is that they were Gentiles, they were non-Jews. This is the letter to whom this is being addressed. I think it's very important for us to know the audience because that will really affect what we are about to study tonight. Amen. So Peter is addressing Gentiles. And who are Gentiles? I believe that we've established that in, in times past that a Gentile is a non-Jew. A Gentile was someone who did not receive the commandments, who was not part of the blessings of the, of, of the Lord that was pronounced in the Old Testament. So th these were Gentiles. Gentiles who have now come into the faith. This is the blessing that the Lord has upon them based on inclusion. Amen. Now, why was the book of Peter written? The first book in particular. It was written to encourage those believers who are going through sufferings. So the main meat of Peter's letter is in chapter 4. That's where he goes real into the discussion. But everything that Peter is going to do is sort of to draw them to who they are. I find that very powerful. Whenever we go into hard times, and all of us will, Christianity does not promise a trouble-free, suffering-free life. Whenever any of us go into hard times, let's always try and remember who we are first. That's very important. And that's what Peter is going to do. He is going to talk about who they are in Christ. Before now, he begins to encourage them to hold on and not give up. So that is the whole book. So the whole book of 
first the, the the book of first peter is written to encourage believers to hold on don't drop the ball when you receive christ as your lord and personal savior you have been promised victory in every form of suffering you have been promised victory in every form of temptation you have been promised victory in every form of trial but you have not been promised a trouble-free, trial-free, temptation-free life. Always remember that. Now, I, I hope you, you noticed the word I said. I said you have been promised victory, but not deliverance. Victory. Because sometimes the Lord will not deliver you from the problem. He will actually strengthen and encourage you to go through the problem so that you can experience victory. So, no matter what we go through, the outcome for every born-again believer is that we have victory. That's why Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says that we are more than conquerors. So, Christian, don't be afraid of troubles. Don't be afraid of suffering. Don't be afraid of trials. Don't be afraid of temptation. I know these words can easily nerve us and make us very nervous. But the reality of it all is that we win. We win. We win in trials. We win in temptations. We win when we suffer. We win when we suffer. The end of it all is that we win. Try and remember that. So based on the premise of Peter's letter... We are just going to pick a portion that is going to address the theme of for this reason. Amen. So now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. Now, um, before that... Peter was now encouraging the people that you guys are new in the faith. All right. So these Gentiles are in today's language. We will call them new converts or new believers. So Peter is saying that for you to grow, desire the sincere milk of God's word. And when you desire the sincere milk of God's word, you will grow. Now, let me stop here. What is the sincere milk of God's word? Let me explain that. Go with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. This is Bible study, so I want to be as thorough and as clear as possible. So when we talk about <clears throat> Excuse me. The sincere milk of the word. What is it? I'm sorry, just move to one chapter. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. And then I'll read into chapter 6, verse 1. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
excuse me, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to design both good and evil. So please notice the phrase here in verse 12, the first principles of the oracles of God. That is the milk of the word. So when we are talking about the milk of the word, this is not mystical. It's talking about the first oracles, or sorry, the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, what are the first principles of the oracles of God? Go to chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, living the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So, in chapter 6, verse 1, please note the phrase, elementary principles of Christ. That is what is called the milk of the word. So when you read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it, it says we should desire the pure milk of the word. When we read Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it is called the first principles of the oracles of Christ. When we read Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, this is also known as the elementary principles of Christ. So when we talk about the milk of the word, two words you have to think of. The first principles of the oracles of God and then the elementary principles of Christ. Do we all understand? So now let me ask this question. What is the sincere milk of the word? What is the sincere milk of the word? I want to know whether we are on the same page. Do we all understand? What is the sincere milk of the word? Nobody? I'm waiting. I want to know whether you understand it before I continue. Alright. So, someone has written in the chat the elementary principles that's in Hebrews chapter 6. So, the sincere milk is the elementary principles of Christ. What's the other name for the sincere milk of the word? 
foundational. Okay. That's the same in chapter 6. So foundational principles or elementary principles of the word. What's the second name to it? Because I gave you two names. The oracles. Okay, the oracles. The first principles of the oracles of God. So I want to believe that all of us here now, we are all on the same page when we talk about sincere milk of the word. It's the first principles of the oracles of God or the elementary principles of Christ. Or in other words, you can replace the elementary foundational, foundational principles. Now, there are six things that constitute the foundational principles of Christ. Here are they. Repentance from dead works. So that's one teaching that is under elementary principles or foundational principles of Christ. It's good that Pastor Jessica put in the chat foundational because when you look at this word elementary, elementary has that English language of beginning or something like that. But in fact, when you look at the Greek of this word elementary, it actually means foundational. That means if this block is not there, you can't build on to the next one. And in Isaiah, I, I, um, God spoke to Isaiah how the children of Israel can grow here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, line upon line. God spoke to Isaiah. This is how you teach the children of God for them to grow and get to know me as God. So likewise, when it comes into the Christian faith, we have to be able to lay the foundational block. And the first teaching is repentance from dead works. The second is faith. So faith is seen as a foundational principle. Number three, the doctrine of baptisms. How many baptisms are there? You have to know it's a doctrine, the doctrine of baptisms. The laying on of hands, it's a foundational principle. Resurrection of the dead. I believe that when Pastor Robert went through the whole book of Revelation in the first quarter, he tackled the resurrection of the dead. It's a foundational principle. And then number six, eternal judgment. So when you read the book of Revelation, we basically covered two foundational principles. We covered resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Amen. So there are six teachings or six pieces that constitute the foundational principles of Christ. So they are repentance from dead works, faith, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands. Christians, we have to believe in the concepts and in the practice of the laying on of hands. The Bible says that we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We got to teach these things. It's very unfortunate that today that laying on of hands is, is, is dying out. It shouldn't die out. It's a foundational principle that needs to be taught to believers. And believers have to understand that it's not only pastors or fivefold ministry gifts that can lay hands. Believers can also lay hands. It's a doctrine that needs to be taught, not just for you to know, but for you to put it into practice. Amen. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So now, when we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, 
when Peter is telling them that desire the sincere milk of the word or desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, this is what Apostle Peter was referring to. All these teachings, because that these Gentiles, they were quite new to the faith and they were shaky. So Peter is saying that the reason why you are shaky because there is trouble is because you are not grown. And that's what really happens. When Christians, we have not really grown, we will become shaky. And not to pull our minds back, 2020, we saw what happened. The reason why many Christians lost faith, many Christians backslid, many Christians could not hold on, is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. If you are not grown, when it comes, you'll be shaky. We have to desire the sincere milk. We have to make sure that we know the foundational principles of Christ so that in times of trouble, in times of uh, hardness and, and you know difficulties, we will be able to stand because we have grown thereby. Amen. So that was Peter's word for them in 1 Peter chapter 2. And then he reminded them that they are living stones who are being used to being built as a spiritual house for God. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that now they are the people where God dwells. When we talk of a spiritual house in the Old Testament, that was a tabernacle or a temple. A tabernacle during Moses' day, a temple in Jesus' day. Because that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. The only reason why it became the presence of the Lord was because of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you take the Ark of the Covenant, it's not the presence of God. So let me ask this question. Do we know what is the Ark of the Covenant? What is the Ark of the Covenant? Because I want us to know whether we are all on the same page when we talk about the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, I know that it had the, um, the Ten Commandments. Yes. It did have the Ten Commandments. So what did it symbolize? Um, so the Ark of the Covenant was... Um, a symbol of God's covenant with Israel and a symbol of God's presence with Israel. Amen. So the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of the covenant God had with the people and it was a symbol of his presence, his ever-abiding presence. So when the Israelites wanted to know that God was with them, it was the Ark of the Covenant. So what just made the tabernacle a spiritual house was not the building, it was the Ark of the Covenant. What made the temple a spiritual house 
was because of the Ark of the Covenant, not necessarily the building. Because if you take the Ark of the Covenant, it ceases being a spiritual house. Now, Peter is using this concept to tell us that now we are a spiritual house. And why are we a spiritual house? Because we carry the presence of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And that's why Apostle Paul could say boldly in Acts chapter 17. Go with me to Acts chapter 17. Today I'll just lay foundation and then next week we will go into uh, our, our meat of our study because I have only six minutes on the clock. Acts chapter 17, verse 22 to 24. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens. So this is Greece. I mean, this building is still in existence today. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So God doesn't live in temples anymore. Where does God live? God lives in our hearts. God lives in our spirits. How do we know that? Because we have the Holy Spirit. So Apostle Peter is letting them know that I want to bring to your remembrance that you are living stones that were used to be built as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. So Apostle Peter wants to bring the knowledge of the Gentile region that is filled with Christians, newborn babies, to let them know who their identity was before he goes into his message. So our real message will be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. And then we'll, we'll, that's the meat of our series. Amen. So I'd just like to stop here. Who has any questions or contribution? We have four minutes on the clock.
All right, since the whole place is quiet, what have we all learned tonight? So I want to hear everybody's voice on the floor. What have we all learned in the next three minutes? Can we all say what we've learned tonight? So we saw what the um, the milk of the word is. We saw that it is the foundational teachings of Christ, um, and the Bible encourages us to move forward or to move on from this and then in, into maturity. So the doctrine of righteousness, faith towards God, laying on of hands, um, repentance from good work, um, bad works. Those things listed in Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible, those are the milk of the word or the foundational um, teachings of Christ, which we are supposed to move forward from. So we should master those and then build on those into maturity. That's what I learned today. Amen. Who else? Will our studies go beyond <clears throat> like will it we we really know what, what is maturity? <clears throat> yes, we will know what maturity is. Okay. So oh are you asking for this particular study or you are just asking a general question? No, this particular study, after we've gone through um the the foundation, are we going to talk about what maturity is or what maturity looks like? No. But uh, I can give you an idea of what is maturity. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Let me read this in the NIV. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, beans, is still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the matured, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So right here in scripture, Righteousness, the teaching on righteousness, is not a foundational truth. It's the meat of God's word. It's the solid food of God's word. We just read it here. That if you're an infant and you are not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness, you are still a baby. So anyway, I'm talking about maturity. So righteousness is not the only uh, uh, truth that is called the meat of God's word. There are other truths, but 
since you asked this question, I thought I would delve into it. And this teaching, we are not really going to go into maturity per se. Amen. Does that answer your question, Lily? Okay. All right. It's a minute past eight. God richly bless all of you. I appreciate all of you being here. Uh, I appreciate your time with me tonight. Uh, please do remember that on Saturday we are praying. It's the first Saturday of the month and per custom we always meet to pray. So 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. in the morning we will be here on this same platform praying. Excuse me. And on Sunday, it's Mother's Day. I believe you are going to have a great time. Let's come. We will not meet in person at our New York location, but we'll be having a virtual service. I believe we'll have a great time. Amen. So please invite any mother, grandmother that you know, auntie, sister, and I believe that we will all have a blessed time in the presence of the Lord. Uh, next week, God willing, uh, we will talk about... The, the camp meeting details, we will go into that a, a bit later. So God bless you all. Thank you all for attending and good night. Father, I bless your people. I thank you that um, may we all desire the word of God that will grow daily into the image of your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night.